Hi, I'm Zoe, and this is What a Body Can Do, Explorations of the Body in the Social World. What can bodies do? We still don't know what bodies can do. The question of the body. The possibilities inside of us. There's still so much we don't know. Let's find out what a body can do. some of the first things you think of when you think about nostalgia. The potent experience of nostalgia. What a fight. Um, why are we talking about nostalgia? I mean, we started talking about it sort of in the middle of quarantine. Yeah. When um, both of us were in positions of being mostly based at home. Um, living alone. Living alone. And we're swimming in our own pasts, presents, and futures, yeah. but maybe more detached from time than we had ever been before mm-hmm. and moving at a different pace than we had ever moved before so there was so much past to swim in yeah and i think so much of our early conversations and the conversations that we recorded for this podcast had so much to do with time travel and like time stopping and just what is time in this last year that has just felt so like spacey and wavy and trippy um, so I thought it would be an interesting concept to explore and because Zoe is a somatic therapist she brought all of this really kind of interesting information about how we can engage intentionally with that time travel by using our bodies through mm-hmm. somatic practice so some of what we hope to offer you in this episode is a very non-linear journey through your past, present, and future that hopefully can give you some access to past moments that you want to recall for the sake of resilience and the sake of pleasure, and also to create spaciousness for your grief and your loss in the past year, no matter how literal or ambiguous. Yeah. And how can we use our bodies as sites of practice to um, call in associations and memories that really um, allow us to feel more alive? Do you want to tell us a little bit about who you are? Sure. My name is Alana. I am a poet. I am a grad student. I'm studying um, to be a sex and relationship therapist. I'm also a, an aspiring grief worker who will soon be training to become an end-of-life doula. And in general, identify as a student of 
love and loss. So mm. when Zoe approached me to collaborate on an audio project for her podcast about nostalgia, I was really excited for all of the different ways that our experiences and thoughts might overlap. It's been so fun. We've been working on this for quite some time and it's been nice to a nice excuse to have a lot of sweet conversations with you. Yeah. Okay, well we're we're on a patio at a coffee shop <laughs> and it's spring and it's the first balmy day and all my limbs are out <laughs> and like you know, confronted with the memory of being out, which they haven't been. Yeah, I haven't seen your limbs in so long. I know, they haven't seen you. And cars have their windows down. There's reggaeton coming from the uh-huh. car, passing by. Yeah. That's so nostalgic. Right. <laughs> so like, where, you know, where are you? And what do you hear? And what do you feel? <laughs> And what do you see? And when's the last time you've heard that? Or felt that? Or seen that? What does it mean to let those memories... What does it mean to consciously let those memories into this moment? Floating is like the ghosts of every association you've ever had. Yeah, so take a look around. Is there anything that you see or feel that evokes a memory for you? But nostalgia is such a pretty word Mm -hmm. that I think like that's, this is my own theory, but I feel like that's one of the reasons that it like became associated with like pleasant memories or like became like almost this like desirable mm. thing to have nostalgia just because of the nature of the word itself like linguistically yeah. linguistically it was like oh yeah nostalgia it's mellifluous <laughs> Fapalana. hi it's me and zoe hi nico hey zoe what's up we wanted to know what are the, some of the first things you think of when you think about nostalgia Oh my god. I guess I think about sadness and um, like romanticizing. Sadness, melancholia, youth, relationships. Um, I think that's what I have for now. That's what comes up at first. I don't know. I feel like nostalgia and like romance are kind of like wrapped up together. I feel like it's hard to have one without the other. I don't know. It's like through a lens that feels a little bit more dreamy and um, obviously not sometimes not reflective of like the actual reality of like that memory um, or event. Um, yeah, I don't know. I love nostalgia. I like live for it. And romance, too. <laughs> Did I do okay? Oh, my God. You passed the test. Oh, my God, yes. Thankfully, Thank everyone you. passes the test. <laughs>
Everyone passes. Yeah. What class is this? Oh, it's not a class. It's the class of life. How do you okay. talk about nostalgia? I mean, I feel sad. Mm. Honestly. And I mean, I don't... You know, and... But it's because of bittersweet. It's not like... Like, I don't want to feel sad about it. You know? Yeah. It's like... It's longing for another time. And I think if you're not in a place where things feel great, then it's easy to feel sad that things aren't as great as they once were. Yeah, it's weird because as a word... It can feel corny or something. You can feel bashful about having it. You feel sentimental or sappy sometimes, mm-hmm. but it's also like all of these really important, good, beautiful, healthy things. Nostalgia comes from a Greek compound consisting of nostos, meaning homecoming, a Homeric word, and algos, meaning pain or ache. And it was coined by a 17th century medical student to describe the anxieties displayed by Swiss mercenaries fighting away from home. So when we were working on this project, our friend Spike sent us this podcast episode. Um, It's an episode of Sawbones called Nostalgia from September of 2020. And it was full of a lot of treasure about the history of the word. I think the thing that that really stood out to us about it is that it's like, that it was actually a medical condition that had um, physical symptoms and how emotional distress and its and their physical symptoms was so tied together, like it wasn't seen as separate in the way that it is now. Right, there was almost this um, legitimacy that was given to the feeling of homesickness by recognizing the enormity of the physical pain and the conditions of distress that it caused people. So by making it a medical medical condition, it was sort of marking the heartbreak or discomfort that being away from home caused these soldiers in the 17th century. Yeah, one thing that was really wild is that the only cure for nostalgia that they could figure out was to go back home. When they were trying to come up with a term for nostalgia, they tried out all these other medical terms and we spent some time talking about that. You know, they had all these ideas. Mm -hmm. A a lot of them sounded like other medical conditions, like something mania or Uh like vadoplospody or something, Uh you know, like stuff that sounds like, oh, that's bad. I don't want that. Yeah. Well, and I guess any condition marked by the absence of comfort or safety or love like does have goodness and joy in it like it is inside of the concept because the concept isn't it's not marked by um the presence of a bad thing it's marked by the absence of a good thing so for the sailors the cure for nostalgia was to go home But we also wanted to talk about situations where you've outgrown what was once home or where going back is no longer an option. For a lot of people, some of the main associations with nostalgia might be the way that it's used kind of in a fucked up cultural sense to hearken back to 
old times when actually a lot of people were more oppressed and less free. Yeah, and when we're thinking about kind of the dangers of the glorification of nostalgia, we're thinking about all of the different people and actually all of the different bodies for whom the past was not safe. Yeah, absolutely. Yeah, or where like holding on to the past isn't maybe the best move or the healthiest move. And beyond that, could we even enjoy and appreciate the present more if we live knowing that it will eventually end? Mm, yeah. There's this line that I have in one of the poems that's like, it says, What I would give to stay firmly lodged in a moment. I just don't feel that way anymore. Yeah. Yeah. Like, I just, I never feel that way anymore. Like, I think I'm at a place with, but like, as life happens, even when things are really precious, I don't really want them to never end. I feel like maybe that's like one way of defining like healing. I like what it means to move on. Being in the aftermath of a beautiful experience, like, can't happen until the experience is over. Yeah. Um, I almost think that part of what I love is the moment where I get to go home and scream in my head about them <laughs> and be like, oh my god, that happened to me. Yeah. And then call someone or just keep myself in the aftermath. Why do you think that is? Like, it gives you some distance from it. Mm-hmm. It also, like, allows you to be like, this is what not having that feels like. Now I... I know how much I want that mm-hmm. because it's over there and I'm over here. Yeah. Yeah, it's over there and I'm over here. Right. Well, there's just something about the conditions created by longing. Like, what happens to all the nostalgia that never becomes nostalgia because it never happens? Like, all the lost experiences of the last year like all the things that never happened or the stuff that didn't get to go down that was planned and expected all the weddings and the trips and the jobs and the connections and the dance parties and the sex and the pains and everything that never happened like yeah where where is that you know out of this last year where sometimes it just feels like time stopped. What did you miss that didn't get to happen? As we were chatting about nostalgia, we found ourselves often encountering conversations about loss or grief and how those things are so tied into this concept of nostalgia. I feel sad, Mm. honestly. When we feel lost for people who aren't here anymore, like, I think what, for me, what I feel is both a missing, but also a missing of something that I'm never going to have. And it feels so both at the same time, and sometimes more of one or more of the other, but it's usually not just a simple missing of a time that's passed. It's like a missing of an ongoingness that involves like the potential for more memories to be made. Totally, totally. Like the ongoing potential for more memories to be made. And if that is lost because of, Mm -hmm. you know, death or any of the other ways people leave our lives, um, 
that potential gets like interfered with. Yeah. And then in the absence of it, we're just left with our our love and our loss and our want and, and our I'm like longing and like wondering what it could have been. Mm -hmm. As we talked about the role that nostalgia plays in our lives, we found ourselves grappling with and trying to identify some of the differences between grief and nostalgia. I like grief better. It's more spacious than nostalgia. I'm like, no, give me permission to feel shitty about the thing that's yeah, gone. Like, give totally. me permission to hate it. Give me permission to rage at it. Give me permission to be glad that it's gone, you uh -huh. know, or relieved that it's gone. Yeah, it also makes me think of, like, nostalgia isn't often something that we, like, we need to talk about or we need to feel. Or, like, mm -hmm. you know, when we're talking about grief, it's like, yes, grief makes sense that you're feeling that. Here are some ways to, like, work through that and process that. And nostalgia just feels like this, like, ominous concept that, like, <laughs> sometimes we feel and there's nothing you can do about it. And... Yeah. Well, they don't know the sailor trick. You just have to go home. Yeah, just go back. <laughs> Right. I mean, I think someone would be reacted to so differently if they said, I'm feeling, I'm grieving, or like, I'm feeling nostalgic. Like, if I was like, Zoe, I'm feeling nostalgic, you'd be like, oh, what are you thinking about? Right. And if I was like, Zoe, I'm grieving, right, like, you right. might, I mean, you would know what to say, but a lot of people would have no idea what to say. We'd be like, oh, I'm sorry for your loss. Yeah. <laughs> like, loss isn't flat, and like, some of the juiciest grief I ever feel there's like 10 feelings happening at once. Holding contradiction mm -hmm. as like such a practice of like, we are not just feeling like one thing or yeah. another thing at a time. Like we can, it, it all lives in us mm -hmm. and it's all accessible mm -hmm. and it's all there at the same time. Mm -hmm. And like the more of that we can tap into, like mm -hmm. the richer our experience of ourselves is. And it doesn't require us to like use illusion in harmful ways. Like my favorite therapist, she used to, I worked with her like while my dad was dying and after he died. And she said, um, like when my grief would come up around sort of like being scared for things that I didn't want to end ending, she would be like, okay. And what if it does? Like it will. And she would just really sort of like force me to wow hold like when I was scared she was like yeah well it is gonna happen and yeah. um in the safety of our relationship would like really show me that inevitability what if we don't actually need to tell ourselves this is never gonna end what if we say I have this right now yeah um, totally and like the gratitude that can come from thinking I have this right now accompanied by the feeling of like this will end in some way you know right and like those don't have to contradict each other no they don't yeah that's just like yeah. damn that's hard how do you do that <laughs> I think it involves it's like practice it's muscle memory it's letting yeah. that be safe and even if it's not even letting if it doesn't safe, feel yeah. safe or even if it feels like really scary and bad it still is me being like oh I love something, I might not, I won't have it forever. Yeah. And what if that lets me love it more?
<laughs> it goes against how we're trained in like consumerism, which is to hoard. Right. <laughs> and yeah, never let go. To never let go <laughs> and to amass and to accumulate and yeah. to consume and consume and consume. <laughs> And even have extra. Which is, it's why there's something so intuitive about wealth being really dangerous. Right. Um, is because it suspends you in this illusion of like um, immortality, kind of. Can I be nostalgic for a season I am still in, like autumn or pleasure or other phases where the love lost continuum wears its veil extra thin? Can I be nostalgic for a summer that never quite ripened as I summon its best bits and chew on their tented moments, suck the sap out? Can I be nostalgic for last February when ignorance was bliss? Even early March with its mouth full of new beginnings accumulating breathless before the world stopped. Sometimes I'm nostalgic for grief, just the part where the crack was still fresh and unbearably vivid, and I all tied up in love-lost continuum, holding both ends in the same hand, like a tunish twisted lasso, aiming for the moon, or already there. bodies are an ecology of experiences mm -hmm. and constellation of memories and feeling states and possibilities. Mm -hmm. The present moment, maybe we're only in or calling up a couple of those, mm -hmm. and in us lives the potential of the rest of them at the same time. Mm -hmm. And we're always, we're always all of it. Mm -hmm. We are that whole ecology at once. Mm -hmm. And we can get stuck in the present moment. Yeah. <laughs> it's such like thing we're supposed to do or something but like I guess what I mean by that is like just getting stuck in like oh this experience of the world that I'm having is is the only experience of the yeah. world yes but it's not honoring the parts of the journey that aren't like that don't seem to be actively happening in the present but that are part of it like uh, just kind of making it the circle that it already is or right. like letting it be the circle that it already is yeah. letting it be amorphous and full of time travel how the breeze feels on my skin I know what that feels like in my body mm -hmm. I might call that in, even if the breeze isn't here. 
Mm -hmm. Yes. Oh, it's artists or writers who do it all the time. All the time. Like, because it's in our bodies. It's like mm -hmm. a blueprint that has been imprinted. Right. Well, and music is sort of maybe the way that people know that most mm. familiarly of being like, okay, I'm going to put on this song because when I put on this song, it makes me feel sexy. Uh -huh. melancholy or yeah. like I can remember the gloomy day when you left. So we already do that triggering all the time. But if we give ourselves permission to do it more consciously, what could expand and what could become possible? Right, absolutely. So we can really make a practice out of um, calling up memories and associations that really make us feel alive and feel connected to ourselves and to each other. It's a practice that we can use to really shift our mood, shift our perspective, kind of come back to ourselves and like recenter in resilience and what we care about and what really makes us feel connected to the larger universe within a world that wants to keep us kind of anxiously um, bent out of shape all the time. This can be a really useful practice for grounding and resilience. As I'm recording this, the rain is falling outside and I can hear the slushy um, tires of cars going by, um, which is doing something really particular to my own body and making me feel some kind of way. It feels really nostalgic and um, soothing. Think of a time in the somewhat recent past where you felt particularly alive and connected to yourself. Maybe it was a time when you were taking a trip or in a really beautiful place or surrounded by friends or whatever it is that comes to mind. If you're able to, you really just pause for a moment, let your eyes close, take some deep breaths and settle into your body. And actually just go back to that place, that moment in time, that specific moment in time where you felt particularly alive. And within the landscape of that vision, what's happening around you? What do you see? What do you smell? What do you hear? 
What time of day is it? Is it dark out? Is it light out? Are there other people around you? Or are you alone? And just really let yourself be immersed in that place, in that time, in that memory. And notice how it feels to be there. What do you notice in your body? What do you notice in your breath? In your mood or feelings? And if you've arrived at a place that feels pleasant to you, just take a moment to be with that and really let it in. Soak it into your muscles and your nervous system. Let it really reshape you in this moment in time. And let your body remember viscerally what it was like and take notes for your future self about what's happening in your body what is your body doing to get to that feeling state and in a moment as you come back into this space and time leaving a trail of breadcrumbs for you to follow in the future so that you know how to get back there. Oh, that's cute. That's beautiful. Nostalgic. Right. <laughs> it's cute. It's not cute. <laughs> Thanks so much, everyone, for listening to this episode of What a Body Can Do. And thanks so, so much to Alana for all of her wisdom and collaboration and humor and poetry and and vision for putting this piece together. This one was a lot of fun and um, excited for more collaborative episodes in the future. It took us a long time and a lot of work to put this out into the world um, and the long period of time between episode two and episode three. Um, so yeah, hopefully I'll get the, the next one out sooner, um, but also if anyone wants to donate to this project, um, you can do that through the link in, my, in the show notes and that'll really help me to get these out faster and to be able to like really work on this and um, pay folks for collaborations and 
um, make this a project that can really grow. So please donate if you're able. You can follow me on Instagram at body.podcast and you can follow my somatics practice page at thirdspace.somatics or find me on the web at thirdspacesomatics.com. Thank you, Zoe. This was really a treat. And if you want to find me on Instagram, I'm at anbsuperstar. Or my poetry practice is at Softcore Poetics. Um, I write custom poems and erotica for people in the moment on my typewriter. So if you want to work together or if you want a poem, find me at Softcore Poetics or email me at softcorepoetics at gmail.com. See you next time. Sorry for your loss. Yeah. <laughs> Sorry.